the old way versus the new way in B2B marketing. Welcome back to a fresh episode of BreakingB2B.com. I'm your host, Sam Dunning. And if you want to join thousands of legends enjoying past podcast episodes, the daily newsletter, or to apply to work with us, head over to BreakingB2B.com. So today, Sir Tom Hunt returns to the show. Tom, CEO over at Fame. We're going to be talking about what the heck is the old way of B2B marketing and why is the new way the way to roll how Tom's used it to grow his B2B service agency and some practical steps for you to get the new way flowing. Breaking B2B is sponsored by Revenue Hero. Did you ever fill in a website inquiry form only to wait hours or even days to hear back from a sales rep? Then comes the endless back and forth trying to schedule a time that works for everyone. It's painful, right? Leads slip through the cracks along with a ton of lost revenue. Revenue Hero fixes this painful process for B2B companies just like yours, allowing prospects to book a time on your sales team's calendar instantly from the website. Behind the scenes, marketing can even route qualified leads to the best sales rep for the job. Hundreds of businesses automate their requester demo or book a cool workflow with Revenue Hero, including app queues, inflection, ultimate AI, customer IO, and user evidence. B2B marketers can see increases in up to 80% of qualified meetings booked. See Revenue Hero in action for yourself today at revenuehero.io. That's revenuehero.io and grab a free demo. Tom, welcome back, sir. How are we? It's great. I feel so much better being on Breaking B2B versus the old one. You like the new name? Yeah, I like the new name. I like the new brand. I'm very excited. Man. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. So so good to have, have you on. I know since you've last come on the show, your company's grown quite significantly over at Fame. I think you're at 3 million ARR now. Is that is that right? That's pretty much it, yes. Awesome, dude. So congrats on the growth and excited for you to share it with myself, everyone tuning in and, and some of your secrets. But first and foremost, let's get stuck in as we don't like to mess around. What the heck do you you on about when you say there's an old way of doing B2B marketing and, and there's a new way? Like, what is that, man? What's the difference? So I think 10 years ago, if you think about it, AWS wasn't really a thing. And so any SaaS product was kind of unique. Mm. But now with AWS and all these other tools, and even especially with AI now as well, like I could probably create a SaaS tool in an afternoon and I can't even code. So that's the first trend, right? Easier and easier to build a product. Second trend is that we have these ad platforms, which again are getting easier and easier and more sophisticated to use. At the same time, as we have these cold email strategies and platforms and techniques that are becoming easier and easier and more sophisticated. So, what this ultimately means for any B2B company is that all of your prospects are being bombarded all the time. They go on LinkedIn, they're being bombarded both on the feed with ads, but then also Mm. in the DMs. They're probably getting phone calls. They're probably, or, or, or because there's so many competitors, like all trying to get at them as well, right? And sure. so this is why a few strategies that used to work before these trends became so prominent are starting to work less. 
So that I think sets the scene. Does that make sense? Any questions? Yeah, so I, I get I get the premise you're you're rolling with. Basically, it's easier than ever to roll out whether that's a SaaS platform, build your own apps, all the no code solutions that are out there, and you're, you're setting the scene in the sense that it's almost as easy as ever to contact to target decision makers with LinkedIn messaging, cold email, automated sequence, and it's a it's a noisy game in the B two B space. Mm -hmm. so I can't argue with you just yet. And so what I think or what we've shifted more to and what I think other people should shift towards to is ideally getting the people you're trying to sell to to know, like, and trust you before you show them an ad, before you send them the cold outbound campaign or before you call them up. So then the question is, how do you do that? I've got six steps we can run through. Nice, nice, nice. We'll dive into that shortly. So what you're saying is that people need to be familiar with yourself, your company, your brand, before we do any of the other stuff, any of the outreach side of things or try and strike up conversations. Is that what we're saying? I'm saying the companies that do this are going to win. And it's less about being familiar with the brand I think that's secondary. First, we need to get them familiar with somebody within your business. Hmm. Okay. And before we dive into the strategy, what is what's wrong with this old way? Like, I know plenty of companies that have grown with the traditional method of hiring SDRs or BDRs, and whether that is outbound calling, whether that's email sequencing, whether that's LinkedIn DMs whatever it may be. Plenty of companies have grown with, with cold outbound or targeted ABM or other forms of marketing. Is, is that not, not a way to go anymore, Tom? You know that's working for anyone right now in February 2024? Plenty of businesses. I mean, I think, I think it still works okay, right? Let's, let's be honest, though. Every, every, every channel in B2B has its flaw. So like you said, it's tougher than ever to break through noise. It's perhaps not effective as it once was because of all these these no code and, and similar applications. So I think doing it in a way that scales, especially on the cold outreach front, that scales to a sensible way that I generates enough qualified appointments is a lot more difficult. Um, I'll always question things on this show when people say it's not the way to go anymore, but I'm intrigued to hear how you're going to do it. And I also wanted to to know your own thoughts, really, because obviously you're scaling your agency to a decent amount of revenue. So it's always interesting to know what, what founders like you, yourself are seeing in, in the wild, as to say. Well, yeah, I know, Sammy, I know you close big deals, six-figure deals from cold calling, but not everyone is as charming as you. So, <laughs> but actually, let me dig into one part, because one part of the process I'm going to outline, step two, is, is defining a spicy narrative. Now, spicy narratives are much more powerful if they are absolute and can mm. spark some kind of emotion. And so this is the lesson here. What I'm doing here is really part of this process. I'm trying to be famous so people get to know me and ultimately buy our stuff. And my spicy narrative is this old way versus the new way thing. So it is, it is like spiced up to make it work better because the title like this episode, this podcast episode might get more downloads if we're like more striking. So it's kind of a lesson in the lesson. Does that make sense? I like it, man. 
and I'm of exactly the same mindset. It's good to take a stance, right? If you're if you're neutral in marketing, you're just saying yes, this sometimes works, and on fifty percent of the other time, it won't work. If you're if you're kind of placid, if you're not too bothered either way, I think people are less less attracted to yourself if you're looking at it from a personal perspective or to your brand from that perspective. So I'm, I'm in complete alignment with that. So let's let's dive into it let's dive into your your process and flow and let's let's roll as we move step one we need to choose the internal influencer this needs to be a person it doesn't have to be the ceo they need to have two things they need to have some kind of knowledge ideally a lot of knowledge about the niche and the, and the industry and then b they need to have communication skills communication skills doesn't have to be on camera it doesn't have to be on audio it could be written me, for example, I think I'm better, much better written than in any other medium. And so as we get later in the process, you'll see that I focus on writing. So when you choose that person, could be CEO, could be head of sales, could be someone in marketing or customer success, but they just have to be good at communicating and they need to have ideally a deep level of knowledge about the, the industry and the niche. Step one. Got it. That's, that's fairly clear. I mean, um, from your experience, is it better? If you choose, i.e., the founder, the CEO, maybe a VP level, does it make too much of a difference? I think that matters less than the two criteria. Like, if the founder CEO doesn't know about the industry or niche, that would be quite concerning. Um, <laughs> and didn't have the communication skills, then it would be better to have somebody else in marketing or even lower in the in the fun function to be that person. Got it. And appreciate for simplicity, we're probably keeping it just at one, but I'm guessing if you wanted to, you could do multiple multiple folks in your organization. It's the same thesis around trying to make Instagram and YouTube work at the same time. It's hard enough just to get one thing working for one person that I would just start with one. I start with one person, one channel. And Got then it. next step, good question. Would it be new person, same channel or same person, new channel? I think it depends. I think if would be if B2B, like I think the big, big opportunity is LinkedIn still. And so I would be tempted to be a new person, same channel, before going same person, new channel. Got it. Okay. So we pick out the subject matter expert from our org. They know the niche well. They're a good communicator. They're ready to go. What well, what's next, sir? Next up, define a spicy narrative. We essentially want something that most people in the niche or, or industry believe uh, or disagree with or don't believe. Because this way, when you start spreading this narrative, it's going to be, it's going to stand out and it's going to spread more. People will be like, oh my God, have you heard about that Tom guy who's saying that cold calling doesn't work anymore? Even though I know I can close six figure deals, says Sam. So a spicy narrative, it doesn't have to be just one. It could be multiple. Ideally, we just have one super strong one. Probably the best case study for this, in my opinion, is what Chris Walker did in the past two years, two, three years in the B2B marketing space. He basically sure. said, lead gen is dead, moved to demand gen. He's kind of moved away from that now. But that's like, he just absolutely crushed that. He took his company from nothing to 20 million in revenue based on that narrative. Um. Any recos for, feel free to use your, your own company as your, an example of how to actually pick a narrative like that, that one is spicy, but two can then be linked back to actually what your company sells. Oh, yeah. So th thank you for, 
for picking that out. That's a, that's the second step in step two. Okay. Once you, have, once you have the spice in the narrative, it uh, ideally it then educates or links back to what you're selling. So right. fame, for example, right now the spicy narrative is old, old way versus new way. Stop called calling. Start building up the authority of somebody in the business. Start becoming famous. Uh, so that's the narrative. And then obviously, if you start to embark upon this process, but you don't want to do the work, then it leads to fame. So same with Chris Walker, Lee Gen versus Demand Gen. Obviously, his firm helped you do to Demand Gen. So that, that's a very important second step, because if you have a spicy narrative that doesn't connect your product or service, then it's probably going to be a wasted investment because you're, you're potentially going to get famous. But those people that are starting to know you won't know or really care about what your business does. How did you, when you picked yours, Tom, this might give us some, or spark some ideas within everyone tuning in. Where was the light bulb moment where you were perhaps brainstorming a bunch of ideas and then you thought, oh, this, this actually hits. And then you decided that was the one to roll with. It, so I've been thinking about it for a while. And the one that I came up with maybe a year and a half ago, or the tagline was interruption of the enemy. Uh, because instead of interrupting your idea buyers, you want them to know you're ready. And so when they want to buy your software, they come to you. And so I always had that in my mind. And how did that, I don't know where that came from. But then if, I, I guess I kind of stole it. I interviewed on my podcast a guy called Adam Robinson, who's the CEO, founder of retention.com. And he is kind of on the same, his spite and is similar to, to my one here. And when I heard him talk about it, I was like, okay, well, old way versus new way. He, he's just like packaged it up a lot better than I did with interruption as enemy. So I kind of lifted it from him. Uh, so I would say to give advice, I think the spicy narrative is probably already in the head of this person if they have a deep expertise in the mm. area. But then also speak with other people that have deep expertise, and then ideally you might be able to lift it or get inspired by them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did something similar basically when we rebranded this podcast from business growth show to breaking B two B. Like I've always had in my headlines for the website. Well, it was always in my mind for my website and my LinkedIn headlines, like B2B SEO and websites for revenue, not vanity. And people actually fed back to me that they liked that. So I thought this works, but I wasn't sure about the podcast name or the brand name as well, breakingb2b.com. So literally put it as a, as a test on LinkedIn, said, what do you think out of these three or four options? And that got the best feedback. So I moved with it really. So it's, not all that different, but sometimes it just feels right in your head, doesn't it? And it links up to what you do. You feel that it conveys your, your message well, and it, it takes a stance, which is kind of what you're talking about, that spicy narrative. And so, actually, so point three helps us with this as well. So step three, what we're actually going to do now is we're going to start posting organically about this spicy narrative. And so you'll see if it's uh, resonating with people. Are people commenting? Are people DMing you? Are people agreeing with you? Are you getting impressions, engagement, etc.? So uh, we'll just do like 30 seconds on posting on LinkedIn. Like you can break it down into two areas, like understanding what the platform, what the algorithm likes and formatting your information to fit that. But then it's actually what is the information? What is the spice narrative? So that's what we take from point two. And then we can understand what the algorithm wants. And I'll give some tips here really quickly. A, just post regularly, like once every day or once every weekday. Um, B, use the format that is best suited to your influencer. For me, it's text posts, maybe with an image, but maybe right. for your influencer, it could be a video or it could be audio, probably not audio on LinkedIn. Um, so it's basically going to be video or written or infographic and image. 
if if you you can create that to a high standard. The easiest to get working is probably a single text post um, because then the influencer doesn't even necessarily have to write that. Someone else can write it for them in their voice. So once we get that up and running, we should start to see if the spicy narrative is resonating, and then we can go back to step two to to tweak it if it isn't. Got it. Any, um, I've seen that your posts recently, Tom, have taken quite an uptick in engagement. Each morning when I crack open the app, rub the sleepy dust out my eyes, spend too much time on LinkedIn, usually see your, your posts with uh, a lovely picture of yourself or you sing at a beach or a piece of cake, and it's usually usually doing well, sir. Like, so yours, yours seem to have gone right up. Is that because you're taking this approach, or is there some certain changes oh, you made to your... Oh, wait, that's a new way. Certain changes I've made in my game... Um, I think maybe it's just because I've been doing it for two years. You you really get to know the algorithm, and you know even before you put something live that this is going to pop off or not. So I know that certain topics will work well, and then I combine that with the format of posts that I know works well at the moment, which is basically text post, single image, and then you basically just have to spend 25% of the time on the hook and then also on the outro. And then you just make sure the writing's good, put a load of line breaks. Don't like cut out 25% of the words as well to make it like super easy to skim. So that's probably, oh yeah. And then so that's like almost half of it. Second half, and we'll get into this as well here, is that I used to, I couldn't be bothered with engaging with other people's posts. It's so selfish. Um, but now I've realized how powerful that is, both for the algorithm, but also for building relationships with people that you can work with or learn from, et cetera. So I spend like a shit ton of time on LinkedIn these days. And it's almost like LinkedIn is just like repaying me for the, all, the, all the fucking time I'm spending looking at their application. So that in like two minutes is what I've changed to <laughs> improve LinkedIn. I don't know if it's ultimately an added benefit to my life because now I spend literally three hours a day on it. LinkedIn's one of those things we could talk about for ages. Like there's so many different takes on what works, how you get engagement, if you should comment on stuff before you post your post, or if you should do it after you post your post, respond to comments. But that could be an episode in itself and we'll we'll move on. Let's keep it rolling. So that's tip three. Post organically on the narrative, format it for the algorithm of the channel that you're posting on. Make sure you put out content that suits the influencer, like you said, if that's text-based, image-based, video-based, whatever. Um, and then start seeing if it resonates, spend a decent amount of time on the hook and the outro, make it easy to consume. We've got to give a huge shout out to Factors.ai. In B2B, there's a few harsh truths. At best, only 4% of your website visitors convert into sales calls and less than 1% of the outbound account list ends up making a purchase. By the time people request a demo or call, they're already late in their stages of evaluation. Smart B2B companies don't wait for people to magically buy. Instead, they expand their sales pipeline by tapping into intent signals. Factors.ai identifies prospects showing buying intent on your website, LinkedIn, and G2. Prospect into high intent accounts at the moment they're buying. Make it easy for your team to generate revenue and get more from every dollar spent. The best part, you can attribute and track everything seamlessly through the factors.ai platform. Don't miss out. Grab a free trial today and start maximizing your revenue over at factors.ai.
Tip four, please. So now the growth or the fame or the attention originates on social. Uh, the, that's like the plus side for getting big on LinkedIn. Let's focus on LinkedIn for this. The downside is that you don't actually own it. LinkedIn changed the algorithm. They start to not like your posts. You lose that all. And so what we want to do is transition the, the attention we get here to owned channels. And so first we have email. This typically the easiest to get people from social onto email. And then the ultimate goal, in my opinion, is to get people all the way down to the podcast. Uh, it's, it's harder to grow, but when you get people there, you, you build like the unrivaled bond. You're basically in their ears every week. And that is how you can really get people to know, like, and trust you and therefore can influence them. So that's it goes social, email, podcast. And so once we have the social rolling and the engagement's going up, the metric we like to track is total impressions in a month. Then we're going to look to build out either the email or the podcast. If our influencer has like a, a preference to the communication medium, maybe they're better interviewers or they're better on video, then maybe we'll start with the podcast. If they're better writers, then maybe we'll start with the email. And we want to just start flowing that information off LinkedIn onto your own channels. Got it. Any best practices on how to do so? So podcast-wise, what I do is two things. First is you put the link below your profile that you can link out to anything just below your profile picture. You link that to your to the thing, whether it's the email or the podcast. And then what I've done for probably a year and a half, I think drives the most uh, downloads to confession of the B2B marketer is just for every episode I post, like again, with everything we know about making written content stand out on LinkedIn, I have a text post and then an image of every episode. So it's once once per week, I basically have all these other posts that maybe are getting more attention, but here's a more like middle or bottom of the funnel post that pushes people down into the podcast because I try to give some value in the post, but then people would have to go and listen to the podcast in order to get uh, all the information. Now, if I was doing that for a newsletter, I would just change the link to link to the newsletter. And then what I'd probably do is I'd write the newsletter and then I put a shortened version onto LinkedIn in the format that works for LinkedIn. And then obviously the CTA in the comments would be to go and sign up for the newsletter so you can get the next one that has more stuff. Got it. And then you mentioned tracking impressions. So what are you doing exactly there and kind of what's the flow and what's what's the kind of end goal with all of this? Yeah, I think uh, if if the, the theory is we just want our idol buyers to know, like, and trust us before they come, before they need to buy our thing. And so really a metric that I'm trying to push, this is a spicy narrative that I came out with a year ago that hasn't really gone that well. I call it total targeted impressions. I think this is the ideal metric for B2B marketing these days. Just how many impressions did you get with somebody who could buy your stuff mm. uh, that, that talks about a, sp a spicy narrative? There's probably no way to really track this because it comes from everywhere, right? But therefore, or we can back into the fact that really what we're trying to do with all of this stuff, email opens, podcast downloads, or impressions on social is just get more of those total targeted impressions. So if that number's going up and we're talking about spicy narratives in our content, then we know we're good, we know we're heading in the right direction. So social is easy. You can just get the impression data from the, the platform, put it in a Google Sheet, track that over time. The secondary metric there is followers. We also want that going up and to the right. Uh, for email newsletter, it's new subscribers, and then you just want to keep track of open rate. And then for podcast, it's downloads, and you want to keep track of followers and Apple Podcast consumption. Does any B2B company have to do all of these, i.e. set up the email list? Or 
however they're feeding into that, be it a lead magnet or just straight up subscribe to my newsletter. Or likewise, do they need the podcast as well from from the off? Because I appreciate every company is going to have slightly different resource or cash to spend on companies. No, I'd start. So I, I think you definitely need a social channel and you need an own channel. But I'd start with the social because if you start with the own channel, it's just going to be hard to get anyone to to subscribe or to to follow the podcast or subscribe to the newsletter. So we yep. start with social. Once those impressions are going up, then we bring in the second one, and it could be either email or podcast based on the skill of the influencer. Makes sense. What comes next? Two more steps. Step five, simple one, compound. We just have to keep doing this, check check in on, on our narratives, check in on the formatting to ensure we're creating the content that works for the social channel. Same for the content with the email and the podcast is are we a creating content that people like but b ensuring that our spicy narrative is yeah, exposed somewhere in the content and we just have to do that six months it's taken me on linkedin to really like get it rolling two years hopefully it'll take you less um because you know this stuff um so just compound tweak and improve step six though is where it gets a little bit exciting is we can use paid spend to amplify or to speed up the the growth but on the top layer on social. So I'll do a little case study. A week and a half ago, I wrote a post which elaborated this whole old way, new way thing. Post on LinkedIn, I've got it here in front of me, got like 160 likes and maybe 15,000 impressions, which is like, okay, like pretty good for me. So I got all that organic reach. And so I know that that narrative is getting some traction. Sure. So what I do the day after is I edit the post, Put a little CTA in the bottom, and I'll read exactly what it says. I like put some dashes to break it out, and it says, "Like the plan, but need help executing. We can do all the work. Apply to work with us here. Link in the post." It doesn't matter now putting links in the post because we've got all the organic engagement. We also know that spicy narrative is working. So what we then do is run a LinkedIn employer ad. So we have an ad running from the our business Facebook page, but it shows it shows this from me. And so I can then target that ad either to my email list that I've been cold emailing in the past or to retarget traffic on the site or just to new uh, lists based on our ICP through LinkedIn targeting. And I can run that ad with the social proof to a spicy narrative that I know that works. And so what's special about this is if we make that ad, like if we can just get one, if we spend $1,000, on the ad and we got one customer that ads paid for and we've also been able to spend a thousand dollars getting my linkedin profile more impressions and more followers from our ideal buyers so that can compound makes sense yeah 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 it does um we had justin Rowe on when that feature literally just came out i can't remember how long it was probably five six months roughly speaking when they literally a couple of days after they rolled out that feature, what I can't remember what it's called. I think it's thought leadership ads, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Can, I call it employee ads, but the actual name is thought leadership ads. Yeah. That yeah, employee ads makes more sense. Um, yeah, we had him on literally like after they just rolled it out because like Justin, you need to talk about it because you're literally the LinkedIn guru. Um, so I'm interested about this because I haven't really done it. But as we've recently launched BreakingB2B.com, I'd love to, like you say, basically what test posts that hit well on organic, they get they get good good impressions, good likes, et cetera. So you know that people actually enjoy the content. They like the take, they like the narrative and then use paid to back that up and distribute that to the folks that aren't seeing it organically, but you want to get in front of. You mentioned there getting in front of perhaps email list contacts, maybe target accounts. You can obviously build out um, 
anywhere you've seen it kind of perform especially like is there a i don't know is there a cadence that you're running i.e i'm taking five to seven of my top performing posts and i'm putting them in front of this audience and then in return we're getting this off a x amount of spend so the only one i've done it oh sorry no i've done it more like branding i tested this a couple months ago with a post that was just about how the company's growing and i that's when i discovered you can get super cheap impressions if you run an ad that already has a shitload of social proof but then i don't think that was ever going to drive business and so here's the first one where i think there's a chance that we could get business from this post and then just cycle around the ad spend to blow up my linkedin profile uh in terms of sending it to i've only i didn't get real good success i think the email list was rubbish when i uploaded the email list we've been doing card out about too although i shouldn't really mention that because that's part of the old way you know we don't do old way stuff anymore <laughs> um and so that didn't perform well and so now yeah i just use linkedin targeting to target our idea buyers and yeah i mean the update is we have a cool book the call's happening on monday and maybe it'll be maybe it'll be good maybe it won't we'll see i'll, I'll update everybody there like you say, it's it's one of those things. I'd wonder how this can, would compare to something like Google Paid Search, because I suppose the, the the great angle of this is that folks are seeing your content, but if you're doing it on several posts, it's I suppose the angle is that you've you've already made a post that's performed well organically. Then you're like, well, I know this is going to go well on paid spend because it's already performed well on organic. If I map out kind of some of my key accounts, let's say we're targeting VPs and marketing CMOs at companies with 500 plus employees that have been recently funded, whatever. And we start distributing that via paid. And we think either way, even if I don't get book calls immediately, I'm reaching out to a new audience that wouldn't have otherwise seen my content. Then they might follow me on LinkedIn. Over time, they might start to trust me. Then they like my, might like my take on the subject. Then they might eventually talk to their peers. Then they might book a call. So I suppose even then, if you're going in with that long-term mindset of kind of building a everything like you've said around um, a specific person in your company it's almost a, a no-brainer if you map it out right exactly so cool i need to test it i'm gonna put some cash in it myself and probably report back and on some episode and we'll have to share notes at some stage so is that the six-step process the six-step process so select internal influencer define spidey nap by the narrative post organically transition to own channels compound and then amplify with paid cool man are there anything that anything to add anything we should consider when we're doing this process when we're picking out the internal influencer when we're putting out their content when, when we're making a narrative um testing and reiterating what works and then kind of eventually amplifying with with paid spend any considerations i think the crucial steps are going to be selecting the influencer right and i think the key here is that they have to want it mm. if, if you're trying to convince them like you're the marketing manager you're convincing them that we're going to do this going to work it might not work because it's not something that it's going to like bring in a big deal month one and so they if if they don't love the if they don't love the niche if they don't love like the content then it's going to be hard step one step two is iterating on the spicy narrative i've shared a couple of spicy narratives here that just didn't ever catch on it seems like the old way versus the new way one is catching on i know if i write a linkedin post it's probably going to do okay so it's just iterating on spicy narrative because even if you think it's great it isn't necessarily great and you might need to get the market to validate that mm, great point that's that's the same with with a lot of things right if someone isn't 
passionate about either the topic, the niche, the industry, or the outcome that it provides for your clients and customers, there's usually no longevity in it, right? And that can be related to pretty much anything in business, sales, or marketing. If they don't believe in some aspect of it, it ain't going to work. So they're not going to see it through. Exactly right, Sam. Legend. Tom, thank you for sharing your wisdom on round two on the pod. Much appreciated, sir. So with that, please do tell everyone tuning in on how they can learn more about Tom Hunt, fame, and the best way to connect with you. LinkedIn, Tom Hunt, and then Confessions of a B2B Marketer is the, is the podcast. So you can basically see how I'm attempting to implement the, the new way. And then, of course, fame, we start a great podcast, B2B Brands. Um, yeah, that's it. Cool, man. Put all of those links in the show notes below. Once again, thank you for, for coming on. Always enjoy the conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, dude. We've got to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Revenue Hero and Factors.ai. And as always, if you want to check out our daily newsletter, past podcast episodes or apply to work with us at BreakingB2B.com. Take a peek and appreciate you all for tuning in today. Catch you soon.